Ooh. Hello, everyone. Do come in. There's um, there's a few chairs dotted around. Um, there's that one's in the corners in a bad way. Don't use that one. But do just come through. Come through. It's fine. Come on. Come on. Come on in. It's always good because if they're recording this part, then the people who buy the recording or download it, it will just be like, what was going on? So this is quite funny. You don't have to press record yet if you don't want. Um, just come on through. There's plenty of chairs over this side if you want to just walk over. Everyone okay? Good. Um, anyone came to the... We're doing what spiritual disciplines today? Did people come to the why? Yeah? Great. So there'll be some connection there. Um, I'm joined today by Carrie... Uh, all the way from the US of A, which is quite exciting. I'm excited. Um, do you want to just quickly say hello? <laughs> That's great. That's perfect. It was quickly hello. Anyway, well, you can. Uh, Carrie's going to share some stuff later on around Sabbath, which is very, very exciting. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to pray. <laughs> God, we thank you uh, that you are with us, that you are for us. Um, God, we thank you that um, you have a, a plan for each one of us. And uh, God, we just want to give you this next uh, 40 minutes or so and just say, um, won't you speak to us, God? Won't you guide the things that uh, me and Carrie say? Um, won't we just uh, come to, a, I guess, a deeper understanding of what it might look like to um, cultivate a relationship um, of love with you, God? And um that is what all this is about. And um, so we just want to give you this time and say, do with it what you will. Won't something we say spark ideas in people's lives that they might go from here and just uh, have a deeper and more intimate relationship with you, God. So, um, yeah, we give you this time and pray your kingdom come. Amen. Um, so um, for those folks who don't know very quickly, because then I get to put our website on the thing. <laughs> Um, I work for the Blessed Network, uh, live in France. Um, that's our house. Um, it's a missional community. And um, hey, just come in, guys. Just come in and there's loads of chairs this side. Just walk on through. It's fine. Um, yeah, it's a missional community. And we train and send predominantly young people and students throughout Europe to serve local churches. Um, we develop a whole load of creative prayer resource stuff as well um so i guess yeah just come through and um, the context which we're speaking out of is that we um we do some of this stuff we live a rule of life um which is around prayer and eating together and um and we get most of our students to read this book which basically forms everything i'm going to say today so if you've not read it then um basically everything i'm saying for the first part is in this book which is a classic, and it's Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster. And this is actually taken. I felt really bad. I did ask permission, but it was still a bit weird just taking this from the bookshop and walking off with it. And they did say that was okay, providing I took it back. But I still felt like I was just stealing, really. But it's six ninety nine or two for ten. So if you find someone else who wants it, you could like just cut a deal with each other. That's a good idea, isn't it? Um, so in this, uh, in the book, um, uh, let's start with this quote. 
It says, the purpose of spiritual disciplines is freedom. Our aim is freedom, not the discipline. The moment we make the discipline our central focus, we turn it into law and lose the corresponding freedom. And there's this thing, I think we touched on it the other day, of um, when you hear the sort of the word discipline or thing, you feel like it's kind of like a, almost not a negative, but it hems in. And what um, he says in this book is actually, we put these things in place so that they might bring freedom. That is the aim. So the aim of spiritual disciplines is to bring freedom. And I guess with some of them, there is a, a, there is a danger that you do make the focus about the discipline itself. And it's at that point when it gets, um, yeah, it's just not right. So it is very much about putting these disciplines, these practices in place so that they might bring freedom. But it's always the focus is on God. That's the key. Um, so there's, I think there's 13 or something. I can't remember. Hold on. We'll go through them anyway. But he splits them into three sections. That's the, the thing to say. So there's the inner disciplines. This is what Richard Foster says. The inner disciplines the outer disciplines, and the corporate. Now, I'm sure this is not an exhaustive list, but um, this book's great, and just people all over the place quoting it and, and loving it, and it's been, I mean, it's been republished a load of times, and it just seems to be a bit of a classic on this thing. So we're just going to go with that. So there's uh, the first of the... the I'm just going to go through them very quickly, a couple of minutes on each. Um, so the first is the inner disciplines, and the first one is meditation. Um, and for some people, they they get a little bit weirded out with meditation because um, it's got, you know, there's a lot of meditation in the Eastern religions, for example. But um, it's really interesting if you think of it in terms of this is a lot of the Eastern uh, traditions, their idea of meditation is about emptying. It's about emptying everything out and just getting rid of everything and sort of escaping into wherever you escape the ether. I don't know. But Christian meditation is about filling. It's about focusing on God, getting rid of the distractions, getting rid of all that stuff, and just focusing on God and being filled by the Spirit. There's a little quote in there that says this, Christian meditation, very simply, is the ability to hear God's voice and obey his word. So it's about filling with the Spirit and hearing from God. So um, one of the things um, we touched on the Lectio Divina the other day, um, we had a little go. It was fun, right? Um, so I encourage you to go and try that. The other things we've um, sort of got into the habit of doing at our prayer room in Bethany is the use of icons. Um, we've done a little bit of that in various sessions in um, Prayer House and, and Big Start, kind of. And just using pictures of Jesus and just spending time meditating and just looking into the face of Jesus. Um, so if you've not used icons before, maybe have a little look at that, see if that's something. I know for me, one of the most... Um, it's so simple and so old and it's not that clever at all, but just using candles. Like sometimes I go into the prayer room um, for my prayer hour on a Friday and we'll just there'll just be a candle on the altar and I'll just sit there for like half the time just staring at this candle. But it's just this sense of being filled with God's spirit. And and one of, I just put that down as well. One of the most, um, I don't know, transcendent things, I think, is I'm just mesmerized by embers. So after a bonfire and it's all dying down and there's just that sort of glowing orangey blackness, that just mesmerizes me. And I just find myself just being in God's presence and just staring into it and just watching it. And just for me, that is meditation. Um, so first one is meditation. Second one is prayer. 
And um, I guess um, I've got a little Henry, is it Henry Nouon or Nouon? I don't know how to I'll say it. Anyway, he's a dude. Um, if you've never read any, Henri Nouon, Nouon, I don't know, it's N-O-U-W-E-N, then um, get some of his stuff, it's amazing. Here's a little quote. This is Chrissy Kelly's like favourite book at the moment. She like reads it every day. Prayer is the bridge between my unconscious and conscious life. Prayer connects my mind with my heart, my will with my passions, my brain with my belly. Prayer is the way... Prayer is the way to let the life-giving spirit of God penetrate all corners of my being. Prayer is the divine instrument of my wholeness, unity, and inner peace. Amazing. And I think actually, in some ways, this is the most important one because this is in all of them. So kind of prayer underpins every single one of them in a way because ultimately prayer is the language that we're communicating with God. So all the others kind of, in some ways, include prayer or are underpinned by or add-ons to prayer, if that makes sense. So this is the coverall one, but he's put a chapter in there specifically on prayer. The one thing I did want to mention was this thing, and I can't remember if we did it the other day or not, was this spontaneity versus written. So my background was in a, um, just I guess, a charismatic Baptist evangelical church, and um and it would there just always there wouldn't be any liturgy or written stuff at all. It was all just you know as it comes, it comes out sort of vibe. And then I went and was a youth worker in the Anglican Church for a couple of years, and then um, and got into the liturgy, and it was just really new to me. And um, and I just think actually there is a massive need for both, you know. And in some churches it's all one, and others it's the other. And for us at Bethany, what we found is. If in the mornings we have half an hour, if we went in and it was just spontaneous, spontaneous, it's easy for me to say, isn't it? Uh, Spontaneous, then we'd probably be quiet for the first 10 minutes because everyone's so so asleep. Um, And so uh, we start with written stuff and and, and different things that already exist. I mean, if they're already there, then why not use them? And then we go into the spontaneous. So I definitely think there's a massive place for both. I do think it's both, so use both. That's prayer. Fasting is the third inner discipline. That's me. My friend made this PowerPoint for me because he's he's a genius. And um, that's me. We're making a big barbecue. But fasting, now this is a really intriguing one. And... um, (laughs) That was a great barbecue, I've got to be honest. Um... I think the key for me I've learned is um, bringing, it just brings focus. And the most important thing, well, two important things. One is, um, uh, I guess it's more than food. And obviously the thing with fasting is it could be dangerous if it's done wrong, you know. So do go and read a lot about it before you engage in it sort of thing, sort of health warning, I'm getting recorded sort of thing. Um, But um, it is incredibly powerful. And the most important thing is it's about, it's, it's you fast to God. Like the whole point is, is it's to be bringing focus onto God. So, um, if whenever you're doing it, so in my experience, I've done a few things. Um, uh, recently, we um, we've been doing the uh, Dan. We have done a Daniel's fast. Um, so in the story of Daniel, he refuses all the luxurious food of the king, and just has like basic stuff. So that's a good thing to do. Um, um. 
things like Facebook and phones and internet, you can choose to fast them for a period. Um, another thing we've done is um, we've uh, fasted food during daylight hours, which means basically you almost it's kind of just you skip lunch and have dinner still, but that sort of idea. So there's lots of creative ways you can do it, but the key is really for me is I know when I've done it and it's that feeling of hunger, it's, it's that is a trigger that brings focus to think back to God and back to why I'm doing it. And normally it's over a specific issue where I want to see God breaking through in that area. So... Um, I've got to be honest, I'm not, a, I, I'm not a massively sort of don't fast massively often and I don't massively know a lot about it, but it is in there and I think it is a really important discipline that's probably been lost quite a lot in the church and especially with young people and um, they just don't really know about it. But it is one of those ones that you have to be really careful about. It's in there. We talk more about that later if you want. Um, study is the fourth inner, um, inner discipline. The, I think, the, yeah, the four. Um, and it's about the transformation of the mind. And in the book, he has this great thing where he talks about four steps. He talks about re- repetition, concentration, comprehension, and reflection. And the repetition, he's talking about um, whatever it is, whatever you do that you, you repeat. So whether it's just like you see a really annoying advert on the TV over and over and over and over and over again, gets into your head. yeah. And there's definitely something in repetition so as you study, as you like read God's word over and over, as you get into books, as you start to hear the same things over and over, you begins to sink in. So he talks about repetition. Concentration is the second step in this. And he talks about at the moment we're in a culture where we just see a million things all the time. There's images coming at us left, right and center and, you know, tweets and adverts and this and that and the other and it's just a visual like you're just so overstimulated all the day and he's just talking about the importance of concentration and concentrating the mind on one thing um so even in that so within this study discipline there's that element to it and then comprehension talks about um in there's a quote in the bible isn't there where it says it's not the truth but the knowledge of the truth that will set you free so as we go to think about what might be the freedom that accompanies this discipline, well, it will be the knowledge of the truth. So as you begin to get into it, you'll become knowledgeable about God and God's story, and it'll be that knowledge that sets you free. And then last one, reflection, um, is just, uh, uh, for me, um, I, did, um, I did a youth work in theology degree, and part of it was about um, just the sort of reflective practice cycle. So just this constant reflecting on what is going on around you, what have you read, what have you seen, what is going on, and this whole idea of just reflecting on all these things and seeing. And for me, it's helped me as I reflect on my daily life, as I reflect on the things and my interactions, it helps you to develop um, an awareness of God by reflecting through these things. So that's study, transformation of the mind through those four steps. Okay, now these are the outer disciplines. So those four were the inner, and this is the outer. So the first one's simplicity, um, which um, living within your means. It's this great, um, I've robbed this from Jared, but it's about this idea that um, if someone said to you, you can only live within a um, like three by three meter piece of land, you're like trapped by that, yeah? You're a prisoner to that piece of land. But then if you choose to live in the two by two meter part of that land, you've just liberated yourself because you're living by your rules within. The balance makes sense, yeah? And this idea that um, 
by living against this culture of materialism and consumerism and choosing to live differently and live within our means and whatever that looks like. For me, personally, that's growing my own veg and keeping my chickens. We're talking about chickens a lot, aren't we? And, um, and, and doing these things where I'm living, I'm choosing to live within my means. I'm choosing to say the culture around me has put this box around me, how I have to live, the stuff I have to have, all this sort of thing. And I'm choosing to live within that thing which liberates me and brings the freedom from what the culture is saying. Um, and I love the line in um, the vision poem that Pete Gregg wrote for 24-7, and it talks about having crusts on one day and caviar on the next. And that kind of captures sometimes what our life is like, where one day we're just uh, scratching around for euros to just go to the shop and get a bit of dinner, and then another day someone's invited us out and we have an incredible, you know, five-course French feast. You know, and it's just this idea of you just sort of day by day choosing to live against that culture and, and, and living and bringing the freedom by living simply. Solitude. Um, he nearly called this chapter silence, but he couldn't decide, so he went for solitude, but it, it includes both. Um, I think we talked a little bit of silence and rediscovery of silence the other day, and I just think it's massively important um, just to, to increase the amount of times that we're silent in our lives, because when you're silent, you're able to see and hear. God and yourself in a different picture. And I think one of the other interesting things about this for me is being using our words wisely. Sometimes we need to just use a whole lot less words. You know, sometimes all it needs is us to be silent or sit with someone or be present to someone. We don't have to actually speak. So I've been trying re recently, I've just reread this actually recently, and um, just my use of words is sometimes I don't need to say as much as I do. or do you know what I mean? And I think one of the examples he uses in there is like a, a football team or a basketball team um, that's the top of their game. The thing they do is they, um, when they have the opportunity to score, they score. As opposed to the teams that aren't the champions, like they have the opportunity, but they don't quite get that goal or that thing. And it's in the same way as using your words sort of strategically or keeping silent strategically. Okay, does it make sense? We're going to talk a little, I don't know, is the Sabbath kind of cross over that a little bit or not? Nah, crossing. Got some shoulders going on. Um, submission is another um, of the outer disciplines. Um, and the freedom that goes with this is that from the burden of getting your own way. This is a difficult one, right? Because we all really just want to get our own way. Um, but this is the freedom that goes with it. And I think for me, some of this submission stuff is wrapped up in perspective because when we actually step back from things and we gain perspective or we gain God's perspective on stuff, then we actually um, we see things totally different and realize actually my way is probably not the best way or we should probably do something slightly different. And, and for me, there's, there's a, a significant stuff in Psalm 121 where it says, um, I lift my eyes to the mountain. Where does my hope come from? It comes from... God who made a heaven and earth. And I just think this idea of sometimes we just need to lift our eyes. And actually, that could be very physically. I know for me, um, if we if I walk out of uh, Bethany where I live for about 10 minutes, there's a, um, there's a hunting tower just on the top of the hill where they shoot stuff, I guess. I don't know. It has plastic pigeons and everything. But I sometimes, when I'm like stressing over stuff and getting really anxious about stuff, I'll walk up to there just and climb up this thing 
Um, it's quite high as well. Um, but then I can look out over the things and it just helps me to take a moment out and gain perspective, you know? And there's a great line in the message version of, um, I think it's Colossians 1, and it talks about um, don't be um, absorbed with the things that are around on the ground, but lift your eyes. Check that one out. I would quote it better than that, but I'm not going to. So perspective. And then service. Oh, this is my wife. Not seen her for a while. That's nice. I've not, it's quite quite weird for me because Ches put this thing together for me. I've got no idea what's... Co- I gave him the content, but I've got no idea what pictures he put on it. So I should have probably checked. But there you go. Um, service, which goes re- for me goes really, really uh, hand in hand with the submission. Um, and uh, I'll talk a bit more about chickens, shall I? Um, the idea of a pecking order obviously comes from chickens, and it really is true. I mean, these things are crazy. Um, we had four... And then about two weeks ago, we got another three. So then when we introduced the three to the four, it was serious amount of pecking going on. And then, But over the, about a week, they did reestablish and settle down. But there's very clearly the one fat one that's like the kingpin. And then they kind of get, you know, skinnier as they go down the pecking order. It's mad. But it's true of us, isn't it? It's when we're in a group situation, there's... A, normally some sort of pecking order, people take the lead in the conversation or they'll dominate or they'll control or whatever. And actually, I think for me, the key to this service thing is is trying to see the value in people and to sort of break down that pecking order. Now, that's not a completely do away with leadership. We need leadership, we need authority. But the way Jesus did things was he saw the value in the people and everyone was kind of equal in that sense of everyone is human everyone is equal we're all in this sort of you know we all have equal value and worth to god so we need to try and live in that way and i guess very practically that outworks by very simply doing things like holding the door open and making people a cup of tea and that's how it works out but i think behind it is this stuff to do with seeing value in people and um and not sort of putting them down to build yourself up type stuff okay um Corporate disciplines. And then um, first one, confession. And uh, it says, is a corporate discipline because sin both offends God and creates a wound in the Christian fellowship. And I guess for me, I'll only say one thing really about confession is we've got to do it. But I think there's this whole thing about keeping short accounts. So keeping short accounts with God, short accounts with each other. Um, I sometimes compare it to my email inbox because it gets pretty full. And if you let it get pretty full, you don't do anything about it. And then it gets worse and worse and worse. Then you have to spend an entire day clearing it out. But if you're like on it and you like, as soon as they come in, you try and reply to two or three and you clear it and you keep it clear, then it's a much better way to live, right? So um, for me, um, I've only just thought of that analogy. That's good, isn't it? I like that. We'll keep that one. Um, but this idea of just keeping short accounts with God, short accounts with each other. And um, yeah. Worship. Um, I like to think of worship as response, just response to who God is, who what he's done for us and what he's doing. And just whatever that means, I don't want to get into a big thing about, you know, what it looks like. But just whatever you've got in your hands, whatever gifts you've got, is just responding to who God is and what he's done for you and what he's doing um, for me is worship. And um, I think one of the most important things um, 
I've always remembered it forever, and it's old school, and it's Sunday school, and it's amazing. It's the, is it like teaspoon prayer thing, which is thanks, sorry, please, right? But I've just always had that thanks thing drilled into my head since I was, you know, tiny, and just starting prayers by thanking God. Very simple thing to do. But actually, if you do it, it just cultivates thanksgiving, like daily. So I, I try every time I pray to start, by thanking God for something, whatever that is. Um, and I just, for me, it just cultivates this attitude of thanksgiving. So not only are you more thankful to God, but then you become more thankful for the people around you as well. And I just, for me, worship is definitely something about cultivating a thankful heart. Um, guidance is the next corporate discipline. Um, let me read you a little quote from the book. Spiritual direction is first born out of natural, spontaneous human relationships. The ordinary kinds of caring and sharing that belong to the Christian community are the starting point for spiritual direction. And I guess, yeah, kind of what I want to say is just it, it has to be out of relationship. Is There's this massive emphasis. Um, it's, in, it's interesting he's put this in corporate, actually, because there's massive emphasis on the moment of hearing God's voice and plan for your life. And it can be quite a personal thing. And he's chose to put this in corporate because he says, actually, um, yes, we can and we do hear from God and God guides us. But actually, often it is as we chat that stuff through with other people, as we have spiritual directors or mentors or whatever, that we can begin to get a sense of guidance. But also there's a bit in there which I won't talk much about, but he talks about how churches as well will be hearing you know together communally corporately hearing what god's wanting them to do as a church as a body of people and i think the funny thing for me about this one is um how true is it that often you're like really praying god i really need your guidance to tell me to go this way or that way or the other way and god's answer is yeah but i love you or yeah but just come closer to me or and, and it's kind of like this weird sense of like Actually, that's all we need sometimes. And ultimately, I think the, probably the best guidance is, is it's all just about becoming more like him and becoming more uh, like Christ. And and I know for me, is got these big decisions about do we move house or do do that or do the other. And all we're getting back is, oh, I'll be fine. Just, just be more intimate with me. Just get to know me more. And actually, in that process, things are falling into place. But often that is what we hear. So I think that... Oh yeah. Ooh. So they are they are all the disciplines that he sort of goes through in there. So if you want to read about them, grab the book. So um do you want to talk a little bit about Sabbath, Carrie? Cool. Right off right off the bat, I need you to keep a short list for Americans because right now you either love my accent or hate it and it's okay. <laughs> hey, I wanted to tell you, excuse my voice, I've just about lost it because we've been here three weeks now, so it's been great, great, great. Um, what I was going to tell you about Sabbath is that, hang on, I am not a juggler, Matt is, um, is that within the context of all these things Matt has been talking about, I think Sabbath is what God has given you the space in which to practice these things. Um, just a brief kind of introduction. My name is Carrie. I'm married to Mark Tedder, one of the, I think, best worship leaders around. And um, we, we travel between 50 and 75,000 miles a year. And whether that is to Cambodia or Hong Kong or um, 
Italy, the UK, we, we, we uh, do our best to leave the largest carbon footprint on the planet, and I'm still in repentance. And then the other half of the year, we live in the state of Colorado. We have two boys and three grandkids, and all is well. But about 10 years ago, Mark and I were forced into the concept of Sabbath. And I'll tell you what happened is uh, after traveling those 50,000 miles a year and leading four services on a weekend at our local church in Colorado Springs of almost 10,000 people, uh, Mr. Tedder woke one morning basically to no voice. And the voice doctor, the voice specialist said to him, you've got two more years left or at least 20. That's your choice. But here's what you're going to have to do. And basically... He just kind of went through Sabbath with us. He was an old Presbyterian doctor. And uh, wow, was it a wake-up call for Mark and I. And it was the best thing that happened to us. Because I had been trying to figure out why are great, godly, grounded Christian leaders cashing it in. They're just not making the long haul. And I think one of the main reasons is because out of those brilliant Ten Commandments that we all try to obey, we have absolutely ignored and neglected number four, and that's just keeping Sabbath. And so really that sent Mark and I into this crazy tailspin of, uh, okay, what is Sabbath? I know I'm supposed to keep it, but really, what is it? So I would love if you'll allow me just to go over just a couple of little three, three deals that we've come to over the last 10 years of what is Sabbath. And Mark and I have been practicing Sabbath. Remember, we didn't do it because we were smart. We did it because we had to. Uh, we've been practicing Sabbath weekly now for almost 10 years. And oh my gosh, it is! it, it moved from have to to I can't wait to. So, um, and of course, under the new covenant, it's not a thing you have to go do tomorrow. It's something between you and Jesus. But let me just tell you what I have found to be true. Um, Basically, Sabbath is very old, it's prehistoric, it's pre-sin, and it started out as God's idea. Genesis 2-2 says that on the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. On the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then he blessed the seventh day and made it holy because that's when he rested. Um, the first thing we've kind of gleaned after, you know, a couple of years of fighting Sabbath that we have to and getting annoyed that it was a law thing, then we began to look at, okay, what is this thing? What is Sabbath? What did God do? How did he model that for us? And the first thing is he did, he just stopped. And how hard is that for us in today's world? It's really, really hard. Uh, so the whole concept of ceasing I would like to challenge you with. It is very difficult. I would go with almost impossible in our crazy 24-7, always on Facebook, always moving, flying everywhere, blah, blah, blah. Particularly if you are leaders, the chances are you're not stopping. Statistically, you're not stopping. So the first step in Sabbath is to cease. And you know what? When God stopped in Genesis 2-2, was he tired? Was, did he run out of ideas? What was he having, like, creator's block? No. For some reason, this is the mystery part, he decided that enough was enough. There's enough stripes on the zebra, enough apples on the tree. So he stopped. So there's going to come a point in your week, in your month, in your day, 
where your work is not going to be finished because we're fallen, right? But you can discipline yourself to a point to where you say, okay, my work is not finished, but I'm choosing to stop. Because if God stopped, then I too can stop. So that first concept of ceasing, that's number one in what is Sabbath. Number two, um, this is the part I find amazing, is God it's the first thing in all of Scripture that we see God calling holy. And as Christians, I think we kind of get the holy thing because we sing it, we say it, we get that there's a scene in Revelation that, you know, there's constant crying out of holy, holy, holy. Um, you don't call anything else in your life holy probably but God, right? I mean, I can't think of anything other than holy Moses, but that's not real holy, right? And it's, so it's really interesting. I wanted to read you a little quote um, it says here that, first of all, Genesis 2, 2, God, uh, when he, he blessed the seventh day and God made it holy. Um, I've been reading this fabulous Jewish writer called Herschel, uh, Abraham Herschel, H-E-R-S-H-E-L. In his book, Sabbath, It's Meaning for Modern Man, he says, One of the most distinguished words in the Bible is the word gadosh, which is holy. What was the first holy object? Was it a mountain? Was it an altar? No, the first reference in the record of creation to any object in that space would be a slice of time. So it's like, whoa, and particularly with what Richard Foster is talking about, all these disciplines, where are you going to do those things? You, you need some time to do them, don't you? So I'm guessing that that whole provision of Sabbath before the fall was creator God knew what kind of crazy UK life you would be living right now. So he's like, you know what, I better put this in the top 10 because my people are going to be tired. So he's, what he's done is he's given you a slice of time. And of course, under the new covenant, it doesn't have to be, you know, Saturday night at sundown. But I do think he's ordained a slice for you and for you that maybe is different than for me because that's just how our God is. He's so creative. He's so individual. So Sabbath is ceasing. Sabbath is setting apart that time or considering that time holy. It's not a vacation. It's not time off from work. It's something kind of other. It's a, it's a holy place. And when I come up to Friday night or sometimes Thursday night, uh, Mark and I tend to Sabbath on Fridays because Sunday is a work day for most Christians. Um, when we Sabbath on uh, Fridays, I have to get out of my head that this is my day off from work. I've trained myself to not answer emails, to not answer the phone, to blah, blah, blah. But then mind and body and spirit have to line up with something outside of my day. I have to consider that day holy. And boy, that's a big subject. I'm still learning. I don't Holy is large. So if you guys can manage to cease and you can manage to set that time apart and consider it holy, then you're coming up to the biggie, and that is what on earth do you do during Sabbath? Uh, fortunately, Matt has given you a lovely list of 13 things to do. But if you ran out of ideas, um, one of the things I've been having fun, I'm writing a Bible study right now for Worship Leader Magazine, and um, one of the things I've been doing is looking back at that week in uh, Eden, whether it's literal or figurative, I don't care. But what you see is this fabulous short little phrase. It's kind of a sundown phrase. You see it. Can anybody guess what it is at the end of each day? Yeah, and God saw that it was good. 
you kind of breeze past that, don't you? But then when you get to God, stopped the work he had been doing, he rested, he, he made it holy. I'm wondering if that was the kind of lead up to the whole day he would be spending on chilling out and looking what he'd done, you know. He's, he's stopping to say, this is good. So what Sabbath is for me is it's giving me permission to stop and notice and to say those words, it's still good. What God is doing is still good. This is a nasty, horrible, fallen world we live in. We know that. We get blasted by the media. We choose to get involved in very worthy projects. But our souls need the space to stop and say, no, there's still goodness here, and our God is good, and I'm going to choose to stop and notice that today. And, and that's not easy. That's not easy for me. Um, so really, Sabbath is about ceasing. It's about setting it apart, and it's about stopping to notice, stopping to say it is good. And uh, just to kick you off, I would like to challenge you to start in and look at some of those references. There's 156, 57 direct references to Sabbath, and then there's a whole lot more um, on the subject that's kind of not a direct reference. There's just a lot in Scripture from Old Testament to New um, that is there for Sabbath, and we're having such fun. What really started off as a struggle and a matter of saving Mark's voice and our life um, is now something that, you know, Thursday at 5 o'clock, I'm like, oh, it's coming. So I take, we take that Friday off and just have a ball. And, we've, and it's changed over the years, and sometimes we Sabbath together, sometimes we Sabbath separately, uh, sometimes we Sabbath really badly. Sometimes we fight first thing morning of the Sabbath, and it's pretty much blown. So I am not a professional Sabbather. I'm just a desperate Sabbather. So I want to encourage you guys that in light of Richard Foster's disciplines, which is hooray, yay, yay, you need a slice of time in which to practice those things, to try those disciplines out. And I think Sabbath is your answer to that. So dig around in God's Word for yourself. Figure it out. You'll probably figure out more than I have. Um, and yeah, you can ask questions about it. And I actually have a, a little uh, piece of paper on my iPad. If you're interested in the Bible study when it comes out, just put your name down because I don't know how they market things in the UK. So, wow, that was fast. That was a huge subject in 11 minutes. That was pretty good. Thank you for being patient. Yeah. Um. Okay. Five two. Um, oh, what should we do? Um, we could do questions, or um, I could really, really quickly go through another list of things. Um, it depends how much. Do you want me to go through the list? Yeah. Should we really? I'll do it really quick. It's going to be rapid. Okay. So, um, Jared and Chrissy wrote a book called Intimate with the Ultimate, and it's got seven R's. Um, and each seven are kind of like spiritual practices again. So, it's, but um, there's much more practical. So we'll talk about some of the things how we've worked them out. This is going to be rapid. Okay. So relational connect with creator. So again, this idea of just relationship. Um, some of the things we've done. I think um, there's definitely something in there around using communion and bread and wine. Um, this idea of um, just making time and just getting out of your sort of 
wherever you're living your context and just walking and talking with God, just getting out of what is going on and getting out there and walking and talking and then writing love letters. Um, uh, one of the things we've done is is you can um, just write love letters to God, write love letters to your town or your nation. And this it kind of begins to tap into this sort of prophetic imagination thing. So the first one is relational. Second one is rhythmic, earthed in the everyday. Are people familiar with, well, liminality? Okay, so liminality basically means in-between spaces. So the bits in between. So if you're going from A to B, that bit in between where you're just on the bus and you're waiting, there's nothing else to do. It's a liminal space, an in-between space. Um, So we talked a little bit about um, putting a prayer next to your kettle. That would be a, a uh, that's liminal. So as you wait for the kettle to boil, you can use that time. Um, one of my favorite things is uh, hand dryers. I've got a really odd relationship with a hand dryer in prayer house. I have done for the last four or five years. Um, but when about four years ago the the finger toasters came out, you know the Dyson ones, we're having a little chat about that, and it ended up I don't know how we got from there to there. But um, we're talking about normally you'll go into the toilet, you'll do whatever you do, you'll then wash your hands, and then the hand dryers inevitably don't really work. So you press the button, but then you wipe it on your trousers and you walk out. Yeah, that's the norm, isn't it? Um, well, what I chose to do was um, about four or five years ago is every time. I've washed my hand at a hand dryer. I've pressed the button and I've stood under there with my hands open and waited for the duration. And something about the heat and the air just as a a short, very short 30 second or 90 second, if it's a really long hand dryer, a few seconds of just time where I'm just still before God. And I've found myself uh, praying the same prayer every time, um, which is the lyrics... Um, your grace has found me just as I am, empty-handed but alive in your hands. So for the last five years, every single time, I've used a hand dryer. And it started here about four years ago, the prayer house. Um, uh, yeah, So, and the really interesting thing is when you're traveling, well, for me, I don't have a hand dryer in my house. I have a towel, yeah? But when you're traveling and you stop, obviously, they're pretty much all hand dryers. So you get this weird sense of as you travel, so we travel a lot from France, is um, you get you punctuate in your day with these moments of prayer. It's just incredible. Um, you could do the same with the shower. I know a few people who um, they take a moment when the shower in the morning just to let the water just run over them and just pray in that space. So this kind of rhythmic idea of creating rhythms in your life where um, you can use that liminal space for God. Restless, hunger for heaven. Um, I guess this is some of the Romans 8 stuff where it talks about the groan of creation, the groan that's within us to sort of like see um god's kingdom come a couple of ideas and um, this one is a bit of a crazy one but it does work is sticking a stone in your shoe and then as you're walking around you just feel the pain all day it's not pleasant but what it does do is it just stirs that thing in you to say actually i'm doing this because i want to see god's kingdom break out right now in this situation and so you could try that. There's this great, and I've not got pictures to shame, a great art project called I Wish This Was, where this artist just got loads of stickers that just say, I wish this was. And then you went and stuck them on things and you just wrote. So people did stick them on like uh, a rundown, closed down shop and put like, I wish this was an independent deli or whatever. But this idea of tapping into that prophetic imagination and saying, like, what is God wanting to break out in your area? Um, another thing we've done very simply is we've got some purple cloth We've got people to write on prayers of what they want to speak blessing over a city and then um, torn it in two. 
which kind of echoes the curtain tearing in two in the temple. And then you tie one part to your wrist to remind you to pray, and then the second part to somewhere in your city. And as you're doing it, it's just this prayer of blessing. And then the really interesting thing, I did this a couple of summers ago um, in Lisieux in France, and we went away on holiday, and we came back about four weeks later, and I took my daughter to the park, and um, this thing was still there blowing in the wind on these railings. And I just had this incredible sense for the past four weeks, that little piece of purple cloth, that prayer had just been echoing a prayer blessing over the city all the time. Um, So um, there's a couple of ideas for you. Rich, call to creativity. Um, Three things. One, I guess as an organization, and for me personally, a massive value with aesthetic, um, when I go into like we've we set up our prayer room in such a way that it's just and um, we've learned very quickly that if you have all this stuff around like paper and paint and stuff all the time, then it just you go in and it's just messy. <laughs> and actually, there's something about having a real value for me, a real value with aesthetic and uh, because. God is beautiful and God is wanting beauty to transform the world and and just making beautiful spaces that um, inspire people. So when they go in them, they're just inspired and they feel, yeah, it just points to God. Another thing that I'm really learning at the moment is probably spelled, I don't know, is that spelled wrong? Permanence, permanence. Is that right? Great. I'm really learning about this importance of permanence and marking out a space for prayer and nothing else. So behind our door in our prayer room at Bethany, it's got a quote from St. Benedict, and it says, let the oratory be a place of prayer and let nothing else be done there. And I'm really interested by what it might look like to mark out physical space for prayer and nothing else. And whether that is like a little meter by meter corner of a room in your house and you're saying, actually, this is a little space for prayer and nothing else. I'm just going to put a table there and a candle, but nothing else shall be done there. And, I, and it begins to create these spaces of holy ground. And I don't know about you, but when you go into a big cathedral or you go into a prayer room that is a, just a permanent place of prayer, that there's just something about it. There's something as you add your prayers to the prayers of others. There's that, I don't know, there's just something about that experience. And I just think, what might it look like? And I want to develop a, a ideas like, what might it look like to just section off a tiny bit of your work desk? and say, actually, that's a permanent place of prayer right there, and nothing else is going to impact on that. So reclaiming physical spaces for permanent places of prayer. One of the things we did in our youth club when I was a youth worker in Birmingham was we scrapped the God slot. I know that's heresy. Um, And then we just set up a, a, a gazebo in the corner every single time and just had one very simple prayer station that people... The, the young people come along and just say thanks for something or sorry or whatever it was. And so sometimes it got really abused. I'm not going to lie to you, but sometimes these kids came in, they genuinely engaged with something. And these are kids who were just part of the local estate. And this idea of we said, we might be playing pool and football and doing all this stuff and drinking loads of Coke, but we're in the corner there, there is a place that's prayer and nothing else. And and the kids engage with it. Quick nod to ritual. Um, as we, I think there's something about the physicality. So by tying pieces of cloth, feeling the hair of hand dryers, air of hand dryers, feeling the water of the shed, there's something about the physicality um, that enriches prayer. So as we do stuff, as we re, you know use things like water and oil and different things, by getting your hands on and doing something, um, this this sort of that ritual, that physicality, just enriches 
um, prayer for me. Uh, reciprocal, licensed to listen. Um, we've talked a lot about being aware. I'll tell you a couple of stories how I've become, I guess, through using the disciplines, through taking time out, um, I've become more aware of God's presence in the everyday. There's one time I was in Amsterdam at a shop called Bagels and Beans, which is very nice. And I went to the toilet. A lot happens for me in the toilet, I've discovered. And um, I was there, I was just in the cubicle there, and I just looked up, and there's quite a lot of stickers for bands. You know how they do that. And this one, and it just had a MySpace address, and it said uh, myspace.com forward slash je suis il est. And at the time, I'd just moved to France. I'd been in France about two or three weeks, and we'd gone to Amsterdam for a conference. And I didn't have a lot of French, still don't. But I did know that je suis means, and tu es, il est. And for me, I'm sitting in Amsterdam, having moved from the UK, and God suddenly speaks to me in French and says, I am, you are, he is. And it just blew my mind. And, um, and that was just me being aware of maybe that was God speaking to me and just saying, I have the faith to believe that. Another time, a few weeks later, I got back to France. Um, we had a lot of snow. Our internet broke. It pretty much crippled us. So we had to drive to McDonald's 20 minutes away every day to use the internet. And we got there, and they just started a new ad campaign. And... Every single, there's loads of them. I've got two there. And uh, in the corner of them, it just says, Venez comme vous êtes, which means, come as you are. So uh, God just kind of got this habit of speaking to me in French. It's weird. Um, but this was just because I was being aware of what was going on around me. And I developed these disciplines that I was aware of, of God in the everyday. And I honestly think that God can speak to us in the everyday for all these different things. Um, rooted. Soaked in story, um, the story of scripture, the story of God, and also the story of um, our faith and Christian history. There's, you know, there's stacks of stuff out there. The Celtic traditions, the monastics have just increasingly seem to be coming back and, and just people developing a real, like, it's just, I don't know, a layer of richness. And so this year, someone gave me um, a Moravian pra- daily text prayer book. Um, for for New Year, and um, I've just been using it, and it's just been incredible because I try and do it every day, and I fail. But what is nice is knowing that around the world, there's a whole load of people using this same daily text, and there's something about sometimes when I just can't be bothered, I think, hold on, I'm joining with all this sense of me being part of something else, rooted in a bigger story, rooted in a bigger picture, and so. Potentially look into using some, um, many of you probably do, but this idea of joining with other people and being rooted in something bigger. And the last one, revolutionary, a move to mission. Um, To pray is to change as we pray, as we find out more about God, it inevitably changes us and I think inevitably sends us out. We talked a little bit about that the other day. Um, Two two things. One, um, we've really learned the... Um, importance of praying blessing and there's a difference about just praying blessing on a people or blessing on businesses or blessing on the land than sort of I don't know just just sort of praying them generally is and we found that as we've begun to pray a blessing on these things stuff happens I don't know if you're familiar with the story of 
Falda Brennan um, in Wales has got a book out there called Grace Outpouring. And they, they found the same as they got this sort of retreat center and they just spend a load of time praying a blessing on the local businesses, on the local town. And then what happened was things started to like get better in the town and people were like, well, what's going on? And, and it's just this idea of praying a blessing on people. Um, it's just an incredibly plow- powerful thing. And it's quite good because we're called Bless. So um, we've discovered that our name's actually quite a good name. Um, very quickly, one of the things we do do as well, which you can you might have done in prayer house this week, is um, using uh, we do scroll prayers. Um, so you just write a little bless- blessing on a piece of paper, tie it up, and then go and hide it in your town or your city for someone to find at some point in the future. And you never know what God might do. We did some um, we did some guerrilla art type stuff in Create Zone this morning, and one lady, she went out and. Um, she just had uh, <laughs> we had a bit of a joke about using carrier pigeons, which weren't turned into seagulls. So she went out and stuck plasters all over her face and pretended that she'd been attacked by a seagull. But then she had little cutouts of doves that just said peace on, and everyone who came up to her to sort of check, she, she'd given this dove a peace and just said, um, if you're feeling in trouble, God just wants to say, um, just be at peace. And she did it to this one of these guys from Butlins, and the guy just turned around and said, that's exactly what I needed to hear this morning. And it's just this idea of just these sort of putting these things out there, these blessings, so you never know what God's going to do with them. Does that make sense? So it's this kind of prayer, but a move to mission. Um, that's the, the seven R's, very, very rapidly done. Like, maybe in 11 minutes. <laughs> Hey, have you got any questions for um, Carrie or or me or any comment, anything you want to throw in there, other ideas, thoughts, resources you know about? Um. It was just something that um, probably everybody's heard today anyway from Malcolm Duncan because I was asking at the last session that you did here about how to sort of still your mind and when you're trying to be quiet and all these things come and get in the way. Um, and Malcolm Duncan was saying this morning, which makes perfect sense, it's the devil, because he doesn't want you to pray. That's the last thing he wants you to do. And he suggested turning those things into prayers. So when those things, you know, phone Auntie Nelly that you haven't spoken to for 16 years, comes into your mind, pray for Auntie Nelly, give God Auntie Nelly. And the devil will stop doing that because he doesn't want you to pray. So if it's helping you to pray more, and I thought that was really helpful. like it a lot. Anyone else? Maybe just um, so for anybody who, who likes that idea of being connected, there's something called the Daily Audio Bible, which is a, a podcast that comes through every day, goes through the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, um, some time of reflection, and then the community talk to each other and pray for each other. Daily Audio Bible by Brian Harding, yeah? There you go. Anyone else? Yeah, oh yeah, all this side. Thank you. Uh, I'm very much into uh, quiet days. And one of the hardest things I did with a quiet day was have a meal in silence. And I think it's, <coughs> it's a discipline which I try to 
keep it if I possibly can, of being quiet while I have a meal. I'd find that incredibly difficult. Anyone else? Oh, yeah. Oh, two. Um, you've mentioned the Message Bible quite a bit. Do you find it d helpful to use different translations of the Bible, or is there one particular one that you find works best for you? Um, yeah, I, I just like the Message because I'm into words and the poetic and all that sort of stuff. So I, I guess I would read that daily, but equally... Yeah, I just use, I think we're really blessed to have so many versions in our language, our mother tongue, you know. Um, so, yeah, do use them. Just like, so BibleGateway.com is the obvious thing. It's got all of them on there. So I do use many, but, yeah, my personal thing is the message. I just understand it more. I'm not that clever, really. And it just makes more sense of it to me. But that's just my personal How do you find living in community affects how you're able to do these disciplines and do you find it's very different when you're kind of on the road and out of that community um yeah living in community is really difficult <laughs> it's just loads of other people um i think it is pros and cons of community because i was saying the other day is sometimes i wake up and i'll be like okay morning prayers are in 10 minutes and if it wasn't for everyone else there, there's no way I'd go, honestly. But because other people are there, you go because we're all going, you know. So in that sense, that togetherness and accountability, yeah, it does really help. Equally, like just very practically, the busyness and having lots of people around means sometimes it is really difficult. And so often... I just get off site. I just, I just try after I have to leave. Whether that's you know, take one of the kids for a walk or whatever it is, it's just getting out of the community and getting out of the sort of um, the chaos. Um, yeah, and also I'd, I think when I'm yeah, like when I'm travelling, I've not read my Moravian prayer book now. I brought it with me and I've not read it for two weeks here, just because it's been mad. But equally, I know that I've got some of these more um, sort of spontaneous rhythms like the hand dryers that have actually punctuated my day and probably allowed me to do two weeks here, you know? And so um, I have tried to take time out, you know, to, to get into the prayer house, to go for walks, to go down to the beach, that sort of thing, um, in the last two weeks because um, they're the things available to me. I think part of it is having set rhythms and routines, but having these other ones that are, they just happen spontaneously, you know? So it's, I think you have for both. Maybe one, I, I guess we're like, over time, maybe if anyone got one dying last comment or question, they really want to, one more and then we'll go. It's a question for Carrie. Um, I'd be interested to know um, in a very practical way what your Sabbath actually looks like at the moment and how that is different from just a day off from work. Um, that's a, actually a very interesting question. Right now, my Sabbath has kind of gone visual, but we have literally rotated how we do Sabbath. Mark and I are Sabbathing very different now. Um, 
for me, I usually start off in the evening on Thursdays. We kind of plan a fun meal. Um, my friends know I will not pick up the phone on Friday, and, and I have an emergency for the kids or whatever. But um, generally, we do a sundown prayer together, and then Mark and I uh, separate early and fast in the mornings because just I'm not like him and he's not like me so uh, I start off usually with studying some painting I do a little Van Gogh study and then I'll get quickly into the word of God because at the end of the day that's the only real soul change that takes place is really ingesting that word sometimes I'm putting on an audio bible in a fun accent that's not American for me um even some foreign language of the Word of God, I'm finding is fun to your spirit. It's like my mind isn't getting it, but I'm just really sure that my spirit is picking up Russian of the Bible. <laughs> um, food is really important on the Sabbath. Sometimes we'll fast early uh, and then come back together for a major pig out together. Uh, now I'm trying to include other people in what has traditionally been kind of a solitary Sabbath. But there are just no limits, so I, uh, that's just where we are right now. And Sabbathing on the road is a big challenge because Mark and I are literally on an airplane or in somebody else's place about five months of the year. So that's our biggest challenge is to Sabbath in motion. So, yeah. Sorry. Thanks very much. Um, if you want any other questions, come and chat to us. Um, I'll you know, let you get off to what you're doing. Have a nice uh, rest of the day. And um May see you at Presence this evening in Whitehall. And if it keeps raining, we won't be going to the beach. But if it brightens up, we will. <laughs>